Book the Third, Chapter Six of Armadale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Anthony Petronic. Chapter Six: Pedgift's Postscript. I mentioned that a point had occurred to me, sir," remarked Pedgift Senior. "You did," said Allan. "'Would you like to hear what it is, Mr. Armadale?' "'If you please,' said Allan. "'With all my heart, sir, this is the point. "'I attach considerable importance, if nothing else can be done, "'to having Miss Gwilt privately looked after "'as long as she stops at Thorpe Ambrose. "'It struck me just now at the door, Mr. Armadale, "'that what you are not willing to do for your own security, "'you might be willing to do for the security of another person.' "'What other person?' inquired Ellen. "'A young lady who is a near neighbor of yours, sir. Shall I mention the name in confidence? Miss Milroy.' Ellen started and changed color. "'Miss Milroy,' he repeated. "'Can she be concerned in this miserable business?' "'I hope not, Mr. Pedgift. I sincerely hope not.' "'I paid a visit in your interest, sir, at the cottage this morning,' proceeded Pedgift Sr. "'You shall hear what happened there, and judge for yourself.' "'Major Milroy has been expressing his opinion of you pretty freely, "'and I thought it highly desirable to give him a caution. "'It's always the way with those quiet, addle-headed men. "'When they do once wake up, "'there's no reasoning with their obstinacy "'and no quieting their violence. "'Well, sir, this morning I went to the cottage. "'The Major and Miss Neely were both in the parlor. "'Miss, not looking so pretty as usual, "'pale, I, I thought, pale and worn.' and anxious. Up jumps the addle-headed major. I wouldn't give that, Mr. Armadale, for the brains of a man who can occupy himself for half his lifetime in making a clock. Up jumps the addle-headed major. In the loftiest of manner, he actually tries to look me down. <laughs> the idea of anybody looking me down at my time of life! I behaved like a Christian. I nodded kindly to old what's-o'clock. "'Fine morning, Major,' says I. "'Have you any business with me?' says he. "'Just a word,' says I. "'Miss Neely, like the sensible girl she is, "'gets up to leave the room. "'And what does her ridiculous father do? "'He stops her. "'You needn't go, my dear. "'I have nothing to say to Mr. Pedgift,' "'says this old military idiot, "'and turns my way and tries to look me down again.' "'You are Mr. Armadale's lawyer,' says he. "'If you come on any business relating to Mr. Armadale, "'I refer you to my solicitor. "'His solicitor is Darch, "'and Darch has had enough of me in business, I can tell you. "'My errand here, Major, does certainly relate to Mr. Armadale,' says I. "'But it doesn't concern your lawyer, at any rate, just yet. "'I wish to caution you to suspend your opinion of my client, or— if you won't do that, to be careful how you express it in public. I warn you that our turn is to come, and that you are not at the end yet of this scandal about Miss Gwilt. It struck me as likely that he would lose his temper when he found himself tackled in that way, and he amply fulfilled my expectations. He was quite violent in his language, the poor weak creature, actually violent with me. I behaved like a Christian again. I nodded kindly and wished him good morning. 
when I looked round to wish Miss Neely good morning, too, as she was gone. "'You seem restless, Mr. Armadale,' remarked Pedgift Sr., as Allan, feeling the sting of old recollections, suddenly started out of his chair and began pacing up and down the room. "'I, I won't try your patience much longer, sir. I am coming to the point.' <clears throat> "'I beg your pardon, Mr. Pedgift,' said Allan, returning to his seat and trying to look composedly at the lawyer through the intervening image of Neely which the lawyer had called up. "'Well, sir, I left the cottage,' resumed Pedgift Sr. Uh, "'Just as I turned the corner from the garden into the park, whom should I stumble upon but Miss Neely herself, evidently on the lookout for me. "'I want to speak to you for one moment, Mr. Pedgift,' says she. "'Does Mr. Armadale think me mixed up in this matter she was violently agitated tears in her eyes sir of the sort which my legal experience has not accustomed me to see i quite forgot myself i actually gave her my arm and led her away gently among the trees a nice position to find me in if any of the scandal-mongers of the town had happened to be walking in that direction my dear miss milroy says i why should mr armadale think you mixed up in it you ought to have told her at once that i thought nothing of the kind exclaimed allan indignantly why did you leave her a moment in doubt about it because i am a lawyer mr armadale rejoined pedgift senior dryly even in moments of sentiment under convenient trees with a pretty girl on my arm i can't entirely divest myself of my professional caution uh, don't look distressed sir i pray i set things right in due course of time before i left miss milroy i told her in the plainest terms no such idea had ever entered your head did she seem relieved asked allan she was able to dispense with the use of my arm replied old pedgift as dryly as ever and to pledge me to inviolable secrecy on the subject of our interview she was particularly desirous that you should hear nothing about it if you are at all anxious on your side to know why i am now betraying her confidence i beg to inform you that her confidence related to no less a person than the lady who favored you with a call just now miss gwilt allan who had been once more restlessly pacing the room stopped and returned to his chair is this serious he asked most serious sir returned pedgift senior I am betraying Miss Neely's secret in Miss Neely's own interest. Let us go back to that cautious question I put to her. She found some little difficulty in answering it, for the reply involved her in a narrative of the parting interview between her governess and herself. This is the substance of it. The two were alone when Miss Gwilt took leave of her pupil, and the words she used, as reported to me by Miss Neely, were these. She said, your mother has declined to allow me to take leave of her. Do you decline, too? Miss Neely's answer was a remarkably sensible one for a girl of her age. We have not been good friends, said she, and I believe we are equally glad to part with each other. But I have no wish to decline taking leave of you. Saying that, she held out her hand. Miss Gwilt stood looking at her steadily, without taking it, and addressed her in these words you are not mrs armadale yet Gen gently sir keep your temper it's not at all wonderful that a woman conscious of having her own mercenary designs on you should attribute similar designs to a young lady who happens to be your near neighbor uh, let me go on please 
Miss Neely, by her own confession, and quite naturally, I think, was excessively indignant. She owns to of having answered, You shameless creature, how dare you say that to me? Miss Gwilt's rejoinder was a rather a remarkable one. The anger on her side appears to have been of the cool, still a venomous kind. Nobody ever injured me, Miss Milroy, she said, without sooner or later bitterly repenting it. You will bitterly repent it. She stood looking at her pupil for a moment in dead silence, and then left the room. Miss Neely appears to have felt the imputation fastened on her in connection with you far more sensitively than she felt the threat. She had previously known, as everybody had known in the house, that some unacknowledged proceedings of yours in London had led to Miss Gwilt's voluntary withdrawal from her situation, and she now inferred, from the language addressed to her, that she was actually believed by Miss Gwilt to have set those proceedings on foot to advance herself, and to injure her governess in your estimation. Uh, gently, sir, gently. I haven't quite done yet. As soon as Miss Neely had recovered herself, she went upstairs to speak to Mrs. Milroy. Miss Gwilt's abominable imputation had taken her by surprise, and she went to her mother first for enlightenment and advice. She got neither the one nor the other. Mrs. Milroy declared she was too ill to enter on the subject, and uh, she has remained too ill to enter on it ever since. Miss Neely applied next to her father. The Major stopped her the moment your name passed her lips. He declared he would never hear you mentioned again by any member of his family. She has been left in the dark from that time to this, not knowing how she might have been misrepresented by Miss Gwilt, or what falsehoods you might have been led to believe of her. At my age and in my profession... I don't profess to have any extraordinary softness of heart, but I do think, Mr. Armadale, that Miss Neely's position deserves our sympathy. I'll do anything to help her, cried Allan impulsively. You don't know, Mr. Pedgift, what reason I have. He checked himself and confusedly repeated his first words. I'll, I'll do anything, he reiterated earnestly, anything in the world to help her. Uh, do you really mean that, Mr. Armadale? Uh, excuse my asking, but you can very materially help Miss Neely, if you choose. How? asked Allan. Only tell me how. By giving me your authority, sir, to protect her from Miss Gwilt. Having fired that shot point-blank at his client, the wise lawyer waited a little to let it take its effect before he said any more. Allan's face clouded, and he shifted uneasily from side to side of his chair. "'Your son is hard enough to deal with, Mr. Pedgift,' he said. "'And you are harder than your son.' "'Thank you, sir,' rejoined the ready Pedgift. "'In my son's name and my own, for a handsome compliment to the firm. "'If you wish to be of assistance to Miss Neely,' he went on more seriously, "'I have shown you the way. "'You can do nothing to quiet her anxiety, which I have not done already. "'As soon as I assured her that no misconception of her conduct existed in your mind,' she went away satisfied. Her governess's parting threat doesn't seem to have dwelt on her memory. I can tell you, Mr. Armadale, it dwells on mine. You know my opinion of Miss Gwilt, and you know what Miss Gwilt herself has done this very evening to justify that opinion even in your eyes. May I ask, after all that has passed, whether you think she is the sort of woman who can be trusted to confine herself to empty threats? The question was a formidable one to answer. 
forced steadily back from the position which he had occupied at the outset of the interview, by the irresistible pressure of plain facts, Allan began for the first time to show symptoms of yielding on the subject of Miss Gwilt. "'Is there no other way of protecting Miss Milroy but the way you have mentioned?' he asked uneasily. "'Do you think the Major would listen to you, sir, if you spoke to him?' asked Pedgift Sr. sarcastically. "'I'm rather afraid he wouldn't honor me with his attention. Or perhaps you would prefer alarming Miss Neely by telling her, in plain words, that we both think her in danger?' Or suppose you send me to Miss Gwilt with instructions to inform her that she has done her pupil a cruel injustice. Women are so proverbially ready to listen to reason, and they are so universally disposed to alter their opinions of each other on application, especially when one woman thinks that the other woman has destroyed her prospect of making a good marriage. Uh, don't mind me, Mr. Armadale. I'm only a lawyer, and I can sit waterproof under another shower of Miss Gwilt's tears. Damn it, Mr. Pedgift, tell me in plain words what you want me to do, cried Allan, losing his temper at last. In plain words, Mr. Armadale, I want to keep Miss Gwilt's proceedings privately under view, as long as she stops in this neighborhood. I answer for finding a person who will look after her delicately and discreetly and I agree to discontinue even this harmless superintendence of her actions, if there isn't good reason shown for continuing it, to your entire satisfaction, in a week's time. I make that moderate proposal, sir, in what I sincerely believe to be Miss Milroy's interest, and uh, I wait for your answer, yes or no. "'Can't I have time to consider?' asked Allan, driven to the last helpless expedient of taking refuge in delay. "'Certainly, Mr. Armadale, but don't forget, while you are considering that Miss Milroy is in the habit of walking out alone in your park, innocent of all apprehension of danger, and that Miss Gwilt is perfectly free to take any advantage of that circumstance that Miss Gwilt pleases.' "'Do as you like!' exclaimed Allan in despair. "'And for God's sakes, don't torment me any longer. Popular prejudice may deny it, but the profession of the law is a practically Christian profession, in one respect at least. Of all the large collection of ready answers lying in wait for mankind on a lawyer's lips, none is kept in better working order than the soft answer which turneth away wrath. Pedgift Sr. rose with the alacrity of youth in his legs, and the wise moderation of age on his tongue. "'Many thanks, sir,' he said, "'for the attention you have bestowed on me.' I congratulate you on your decision, and I wish you good evening. This time his indicative snuff-box was not in his hand when he opened the door, and he actually disappeared without coming back for a second post-trip. Allan's head sank on his breast when he was finally left alone. If it was only the end of the week, he thought longingly, if I only had midwinter back again. As that aspiration escaped the client's lips, the lawyer got gaily into his gig, "'Hi! Away, old girl!' cried Pedgift Sr., patting the fast-trotting mare with the end of his whip. "'I never keep a lady waiting, and I've got business tonight with one of your own sex.'" End of Chapter 6 Recording by Michael Anthony Petronic www.voiceoftemptation.biz